Greetings from Free Foam at the Green Dragon. This is Jonas Rembert with my number one partner. Good morning. Sam here. Yeah, it's good to see you, Sam. Nice. Uh, yeah, so it's evening time here. Nice and cool, but but cozy. How's the weather on your side of the world? We are enjoying a nice snowstorm here this morning. Um, wow. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, I know you don't get to see the snow uh, enough living in the tropical island area that you do. Mm. Um, and, you know, for our listeners, uh, sarcasm is the order of the day uh, for us. Typically, every day, all day, sarcasm with a little little uh, maybe cream and sugar. Um, but, yeah, it's beautiful. I was out walking the dogs prior and um, beautiful, beautiful, wonderful, beautiful. Nice. All right. Real nice. Real nice. So you're on um, vacation, Jonas. Almost, almost got a couple, I got some papers to grade and I've got to put the hammer down on a few high school students, but overall things are well. And, yeah. uh, we get about a three week break. Uh, that's awesome. This time you know, of year, it's the lunar new year, which is like Christmas in Asia. So people get pretty excited about that. Yeah. Very good. Um, it, you know, for our listeners out there who maybe haven't checked out the webpage that that's linked to um, uh, Kiss My Brew website, um, we uh, just a little history or a little information about Jonas. Jonas is a high school teacher of uh, English as a second language in Taiwan and uh, uh, rocking and rolling there. Um, so when you hear us discuss uh, things career wise, that's what's going on with him these days. Um, yeah, exciting show today. It is. It is. We'll get right into it. Um, first order of business um i need to make a correction it might have been on our first or second cast we were talking about ipas in fact the first ipa brewed in Asheville was by Asheville brewing company by my old friend doug riley and it was called shiva ipa and if i'm not mistaken it's uh, it had original beautiful original artwork and is available on your shelves today, these 20 years later, these 24 years later. Shiva IPA from Asheville Brewing Company. Definitely check it out. Regional favorite for sure. Very cool. Yeah, that's, a, that's an oldie, but a greatie. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Hmm. All right. So no, let's see. Anyway, and we were going to, let's see, what are we going to talk about? We were going to talk about our favorite brew pub. We're going to start out talking about our favorite brew pub or tap room or beer destination. Um, just talk a little bit about it. Maybe share well, some experiences. Sam, did you, do you have anything on your mind? Well, I do. Um, it's historical and uh, with my beer experiences, kind of uh, my beer quest, so to speak, being shut down over the last year with, with everything that's happened with uh, the pandemic um, uh, I've had some virtual experiences that have been pretty cool, but, um, so I'm going to go back history wise and, you know, uh, Jonas, you and I like to talk about the good old days, right? Uh, mm. the good old days, the good old days. Let's talk about oh, them yeah. shits as, uh, Raekwon says <laughs> from Wu-Tang, um, just to quote one of my guys, um, you know, 25, well, probably almost 30 years ago. I had a buddy that moved from Greensboro, North Carolina to Seattle, and um, I offered to go with him for the adventure and to help out. And we happened to make it uh, to Fort Collins, Colorado, um, and wow. ended up at uh, one of my favorite American iconic breweries, which is New Belgium back in the day, uh -huh. um, and went to either the first 
full-sized plant that they had or the second. Mm -hmm. That's how old I am. Um, mm -hmm. And had probably one of the best experiences of my life as far as visiting a tap room. It, you know, they had a small Rathskeller there, uh, mm -hmm. much like Yinlings, there might have been six seats at the bar. Um, mm -hmm. They tried to do that to limit the number of people that would sit there and drink their free samples, I think. But sure. um, I didn't do a commercial tour. You know, even then, I like to go and discuss with the brewing staff uh, and, and even the owners at the time um, things in general. And that usually would lead to, you know, what we like to call a brewer's tour, which is, you know, kind of off the cuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, gives you a chance to really explore. But behind the scenes. Um, I did. Yeah. And, and so the, the barkeep there after one of the tours ended uh, was kind enough to lead me through a, a, a tour back just to the fermentation room, which was pretty awesome. Um, and then I came back and, and just decided to stay there and, and keep drinking the free beer through the various tours that were rolling through, sure. you know, Portos. Yeah. Um, and so this fellow came and sat down next to me and um, no offense to him uh, at the time, I should have written his name down, but it turned out that he was the yeast master or uh, whatever the, ne the necessary term is the house sure. yeast guy from Belgium that was working with new Belgium at the time. And uh, sure. you know, okay. it, it, it's, it kind of, this kind of goes along with maybe part of our thematic element today, as far as uh, yes. fermentation, but uh -huh. um not that we always have a thematic element in our show, but this guy was, uh, he was a jewel. We sat there and drank uh, at the time they had a triple that you couldn't get any place except for at the tap house or the, the Rathskeller. And we sat there and had, we, we drank uh, what people were. Pints of today. triple. Yes. Some session beer for us at the time, yeah. <laughs> you know, some nine percenters. Uh, and right. drink, we probably, you know, it felt like a day, it felt like 24 hours of beauty, but it was probably three hours of discussions about yeast. This guy was nice. so kind enough to let me as a layman at the time, as just a barely getting my feet wet in the mash tun kind of guy, uh, pick his brain. And I learned so much from him um, that I'm thankful to this day, but that's probably my, one of my historical favorite, uh, uh, stories of um, you know venue story. How about you, Jonas? What's uh, what's in your arsenal of uh, memories? Or well, I'll go back to it's along a similar vein, a little more traditional. Uh, it was back in maybe 1998 or 1999. Me and an uh, old friend, someone very dear to me, we went to uh, we we traveled to Europe for ten or twelve days. I don't know why it was so short. But uh, and we made it to Cantillon Lambic Brewery in the heart of Brussels. And it's 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 like a stone's throw from uh, the Gare Midi, which is the middle the middle train station. And there's a hotel across the street, Sam, which you and I, when we go, we can go to stay across the street from the. The, the hotel and it's like literally a seven minute walk to the brewery yeah. but this was 20 years 25 years ago almost or 20 years ago and it was basically still a two-man operation it was the the uh the brewmaster who i'll just say for now his name was jean because i don't want to miss I, I can't recall his last name exactly and then his son and his son is about my age now his son's probably about 50 and jean i guess but this was 20 years ago and it was just those guys and you just walked in and it was a self-guiding tour. Mm -hmm. And it was like walking around a haunted house because wow. literally everything you saw, I mean, at least in the corners, along the walls, the cracks, the, 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 the bottle sitting there was covered in like inches and just 
uh, of cobwebs. Um, and that was a true, true thing. So it was like sort of a Scooby-Doo haunted house kind of feel. It was a self-guided tour. You know, there were like lines on the floor and like little numbers and there'd be like a real brief description in English and uh, for you. I mean, and they, and they, they speak, there are Franco Francophones, they, they speak French, but of course they also speak Flemish and then they speak English as well. But you just walked around the brewery by yourself while uh, and nobody i mean there was one or two other people there and you get to tour like and it's the same exact equipment that they had been brewing with since about 1900 wow. and jean inherited the brewery his wife was the daughter of the founder of the brewery's founder ah uh, son-in-law love it and it and it survived you know both world wars mm -hmm. and um and it was the original coppers and all the original wow. uh, louder ton has louder knives, you know, with the original machinery and canvas belts. And it has a cool ship up, up there and yeah. all these Oak barrels. And it was really special. And it was like for one Euro, you could try two beers and for three, for, for two euros, you could no one Euro was try three beers oh. and three euros. You could try five. Oh, that's and, crazy. Love it. And the crazy thing was, is I had been a professional brewer for a couple of years. And I mean, I had known this was 1999 or 98. And, you know, I knew a good bit about beer. But when I tried that Lambic beer, like real Lambic beer, it was it was way too much for me. I, I really couldn't handle it. Yeah. yeah. But then when I came back home, I uh, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah. And then uh and therein became my love you know it's sour beer is the first and only beer for me. i mean I, I i enjoy lots of beers but i'll always choose a true lambic first and the, the, the more sour the better and yeah. i recently went back uh a couple of years ago two years ago i think and um you know the, the quality was still the same but they had a lot more variety they had a big tasting they had a pub a private you know they had they kept themselves in business by modernizing which is a good thing yeah. they brought in more extended family to help out and they had to clean up a lot of the cobwebs not sure why but uh, uh well there goes some the quality was still there i mean yeah. it was still but but it was uh it was different but not in a bad way just different sure, sure. that's but cool that's, uh, yeah you know was, i Really I forgot special. that there was a, I, I forgot about that story as a before, not before, but an earlier version, earlier experience and a later version. And, um, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's one of my, yeah, you're right. It's one of my, um, on my list of things to do before I, uh, leave the planet is get to yeah. Cantillon and we'll get uh, it going. The old yeah. ladies will, will be glad to be rid of us. We'll leave them in Paris and we'll take the train. It'll be fine. Uh, so if you're talking about old ladies, you're talking about my young wife, right? That's uh, um, no, I'm talking about the old ball and chain. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> well, with that, uh, let's move on to, the, okay, yeah, we should move let's on. Move on to the article of the day, which um, really kind of just goes perfectly with both of our experiences. And, um, Jonas, I've got a wraparound question about your experience at um, Cantillon I would like to come back to after we discuss the article. So help me stay on point okay. with that, or producer, if you could help me remember to come back to that question. Um, okay. You know, uh, this article, you know, by the way, the articles have been just killer uh, coming out from our producer, and it's been really interesting to see um, uh, what's been pulling out of the hat. And, and I enjoyed this one because it's really uh, cool. I love it's it. a cool, cool article. It's very informational. Uh, it gets you 
back into thinking about yeast in the proper way. And the title of the article, I think, is uh, Notes of Horse Blanket and Burnt Banana, uh, or Burnt Band-Aid, sorry, um, How Wild Yeasts Are Bringing Offbeat uh, terroir. terroir to Craft terroir. Terroir. It's hard. So Jonas is the uh, Jonas is the linguistic person. I am the phonetics uh, pronounce, pronunciation master because I have dyslexia. And so I would pronounce it terrior, uh, but it is, uh, it is French as Jonas has did a good job. Um, it's from the, um, I think the article uh, comes from the counter and it's really interesting, but it just to kind of just really kind of just put it in a nutshell, it, it discusses um, a gentleman who started a business off of cultivating yeast from his backyard, uh, cultivating wild yeast strains, um, and then basically growing that, pardon the pun, um, into, uh, at the time this article was written, um, a much larger entity that was isolating wild yeast strains, um, was uh, getting people to get involved in kind of creating a national uh, wild yeast strain bank by sending out uh, yeast sampling kits to folks with directions, which by the way, it's nothing real difficult to sample to, to, to find yeast, you know, yeah. Our, our listener base is, is very well versed in beer. Uh, I, I, I have a feeling that, you know, I know that for a fact people understand the, I mean, how prolific yeast is and, and how it's required for living things on earth. Uh, mm. So I won't go down that path. People get tired of that spiel when I start talking about the nuclear holocaust and what's going to survive. But um, anyway, it goes on to talk about that. And then I've got, of course, my impressions. But, um, you know, Jonas, I just, just kind of wanted to kind of get the, the – the visualization of what this what this discusses it also discusses a couple of commercial operations in uh the u.s who are mm -hmm. um just using their own wild yeast cultures from their local uh terrier uh as they say in west virginia and yeah. um uh it's their local environment and their local environment. Ter right terroir right. is just the the combination between soil and climate and everything in your environment that contributes to your growing thing That's thank all. you thank you for defining that word definitions don't escape me but pronunciations do sure so it's Jonas, a tricky one yeah just give us uh give us um give us your thoughts about this or your your takeaways i've got some too but i'd, I'd like for you to to jump off on this well, it's Sam and I's plan, uh, as we had alluded to earlier, when the old ladies want to get rid of us, that we're going to build a, a, a brewery state-in-the-art slash extremely rustic in an old barn with, a, with a, uh, a cellar the size of a football field, although the footprint of the above-ground brewery would probably not be more than a couple of thousand square foot at most and just just large enough for the cool ship up top sorry go ahead we want to we want to make some sour beer among other things and but the article is about you know basically taking mason jars of wort with cheap putting cheesecloth on them and setting them outside for a day and then setting them in your basement now he talked about putting it down in the basement for a month which seemed which may or may not be a long time and probably 90 or 99 percent of them he has to throw away but occasionally he would he would uh taste one or smell one that smelled like beer or resembled beer in some way and then he would grow it up and then he would produce beer with it and so this fellow and i didn't write down his name but 
again the name of the article. I'll put it. I'll I'll put it in the title of this podcast so people well, can can, can just, reference it. Yeah, I'm just going to interject something there. It's almost Tolkien esque. It's beer very end or bear end, uh, which mm-hmm. is almost like a very much a uh, a Tolkien name. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, uh, Doug Doug Beerend, but yeah, he's he's and he wants to he wants to select yeast from all over the country, and what Sam was referring to, there's a brewery down in Austin, Texas called Jester King, and what happened was that a local home brewer had cloned one of his commercial brews to near perfection, and I mean there's nothing wrong with that per se, but the guy realized it's like yeah my beer is good, but I want my beer to be exceptional i want it to be unique i want it to be my beer and that's where even on a commercial level in 2013 i would consider going back and back a ways because things change so quickly in the industry but um for example that was before new belgium and sierra nevada came to Asheville. (laughs) right right or but anyway um yeah, and so he was able to cultivate his strain, and it may not be the only yeast he uses, but he has yeast that are very distinct to him, and nobody else in the world will have them. And it's really tricky, because there's thousands of wild yeast. Uh, I mean, they live on, uh, you know, most commercial yeast originated on like uh, the skin of fruit, but it comes off leaves and twigs and and the soil it's just it's just really everywhere there's better places to get it and worse places to get it and that's that's why it's such a crapshoot and why previous to maybe the last five or ten years american brewers have never touched it yeah yeah um and and, you know i know to this date there are still lots of at least pre-pandemic breweries that were still propagating wild yeast um uh, and then sour beer continues to be a big thing. Now, let me put a little side note in there. The sour beer in the American palate is quite different than Lambic sours and Flemish Flemish sours and reds. It, it's uh, it's so? tamer. Okay. It's not, it's not as, you know, it's not as pungent. It's not as poppy, uh, it, it, you know, as far as like, ooh, pickles. Um, which, you, you know, like, sounds... You mean yeah. go like when you're talking about sour beer as in goes or as yeah. a, a fruited yeah. wheat or something well as in like uh you know like yeah like a fruited wheat there you go um and you know my takeaway from the article is twofold first and foremost it's amazing how the good old american commercial uh you know spirit um capitalistic spirit of of america uh that that i that i have issues jumping not issues but they you know topics jumping off the uh um uh the page about okay how can we take this and make money off of it um one company even trying to and i think they did uh, actually mm-hmm. copyright the yeast which is you know i mean you know you talk about things that are difficult to copyright intellectual copyrights are tough um, organism <laughs> because the yeast is a living organism. Yeah. That's a little they have tough. To manipulate it. Yeah, they, they have to manipulate it. it yeah, they have to change it and show that it truly is a unique thing. And and listen, I am all about um, making money as far as people taking care of their lives and 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 yeah, doing what they need to do. But um, my takeaway with that was you got this kind of uh, uh, vein if you will. And then when it comes to who started this whole thing, as far as modern day uh, 
references, you know, the Belgians, you know, they were just opening their, their louvered roofs at night. Uh, you know, they still were. are in some breweries and just letting the wild, uh, the wild yeast come in and do its thing and didn't care about it being um, now today. I'm sure that there are breweries that have taken that and cultivated it and created yeast banks within their own brewery to make sure that it's still pure. But, um, but in regards to just the whole roots of it all, I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, comparison. Um, yes. The other thing that I thought that was uh, interesting here is that, um, I learned about the uh, Kyvek. Is that how you pronounce that strains from Norway? Uh, I'm not sure. Kyvek. Kyvek. I heard about it from Dorian for the first time. Yeah, uh, I had he, not learned that. I, you know, it's it, a newer one on the market. Last cool. five years, maybe. Yeah, it's very cool. And and then to see them talk about how there's a, a Norwegian farmhouse ale. <laughs> um, uh-huh. My, I'm kind of coming to a point with my second point of takeaway here which is um you know that universal language of beer um wild beer in and of itself to me is probably one of the biggest denominators common denominators of language when it comes to brewing and beer because um it you know although the wild yeast strains this is kind of far-fetched although the wild yeast strains are unique to the flora and fauna of that area and that specific brewery the concept is just such a common thing that all of a sudden you see things like farmhouse in Norway. Right. And then now you see, you know, there are farmhouse uh, beers produced here in America that truly do use wild yeasts. Um, So anyway, my two takeaways were, were uh, kind of relevant to um, commercial side of things compared to the free, uh, free flowing, free foam side of, of yeast, uh, yeast propagation, um, to the common denominator. Um, yes, I would experiment. I mean, even when you and I start our sour house, I mean, I, 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 I will be real deliberate about as far as I won't just open the louvers and, and see what happens. I mean, right. I, I would, I mean, it, it, I would choose probably commercial strains of wild yeast and put them in a semi-controlled environment and purposely infect my beer and mm-hmm. emulate a style as opposed to saying, oh, I'm a Lambic brewer now. And meanwhile, six, six or 12 months down the road, you know, we may discover our local yeast that works well for us that we can use. But uh, it's, it's, you know, it is a, it's it's a little i mean to be honest it's dangerous i mean even uh you you may not realize this but i i think uh i was there the 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 literature they hand out at um cantillon is quite thorough now and um because they have so many beers that a lot of like house beers that don't really circulate right and but there's actually anywhere from 15 to 36 different wild yeasts at any given time that are floating through the air and that they actually dump 20 to 30 percent of their beer that makes Uh, sense that yeah that that just sometimes it just you know it just goes off the deep end and it's just it's vinegar it's just no way they could sell it they you know no matter what they do to it it's not beer or at least it's not sellable and that's just part of the part of the thing they take and that's part of that's what lambic beer is and what i like to emulate you know and in a perfect world you and i would be able i mean it may happen one day where we make a batch of beer that is just 
pure yeast coming through the windows and <laughs> landing in the cool ship and it all turns out well but uh you know it's well, it would I, be a combination I, yeah and you know um my uh one of my biggest experiences in the past five years with wild yeast is how um people make the mistake of importing wild yeast strains into their brewery that eventually infect every single beer in the brew house uh, yeah. because yeah. of the fact that it is almost impossible uh unless you were in like a you know hermetically sealed dome to for yeah. thoroughly clean the brewery in a way that right. would eliminate that and they are aggressive whilst yeast strings are aggressive they love to take over they're about survival like every living organism is um mm -hmm. and you know um one thing that uh that you know so that said if you know for home brewers out there listening be very careful uh because even with the best cleaning practices the next thing you know your home brewery can become a sour brewery um and you know no matter what beer you're making <laughs> well it'll get stuck in your hoses you know it'll just soak into the plastic yeah. and there's nothing yep. much you can do about that because the chemicals that we clean with at home are nothing like we clean with in the breweries and the breweries we use you know super caustic alkaline and super super powerful acids as well as like virtually you know 200 degree water yeah i mean i, I brought in some you know, just the stand, uh, Bretomyces bruxellensis to sour some beer one time. And unfortunately, you know, 75% of the beer was drank before it was ready, but three and a half years went by and it was really profoundly amazing stuff. You know, I just needed to be patient, but you know, I, I only use like two hoses for the transfer. And I mean, I think I ran them through hot caustic, like for an hour you know, at well, 180 I'm, degrees, you know, and then I I'm gonna, I'm gonna them. that you were sure. very lucky in that capacity, because even with, even then with those types of brewing practices, I know of two commercial breweries that literally could mm -hmm. not get the yeast strain out of their brewery, literally. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, it can be, it can be a game ender. Um, so yeah, uh, anyway, it's interesting stuff. And I, you know, one thing I think we're going to be talking about further down the road, even more is yeast because yeast is such an important part of this whole thing. Um, how, how would you feel about moving on here to uh, our homebrewing question, Jonas? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Um, what is our homebrewing question? Okay. Homebrewing question. What are easy beers? And again, this comes from our number one sponsor and, uh, kissmybrew.com run by dorian tuli he's a frenchman from metz france and shout yes he like shout out to dorian yes he loves wine but he grew up 40 miles from belgium so it kind of barley and hops seeped into his blood and i'm also a writer for him and enjoy it and i've been writing a lot about yeast lately so this is all fresh in my mind but the question is what are easy beers to brew when getting started at all grain brewing and i, I had something i wanted to throw in here uh, i'm bad sure. about that I, you know no, no, no. bonus and i have a tendency to sometimes um not speak over each other but we get so enthusiastic with our thoughts and we want to add to and uh, but what if we were to do this in a different kind of way and kind of give us a timer, uh, you know, like, a, okay, uh, you know, um, not to not to make the well, like a debate, truncated. no, not a debate, but just like, a, okay, what are the easiest beers to make when getting started all grain brewing? You got a minute to talk about it just to see what happens. <laughs> <with that. laughs> okay. okay, go. 
Uh, all right, we'll we'll just keep it a little freer than that. But yeah, well, we'll yeah, it, one minute was yeah. I'll give us one minute okay. and ten seconds, but uh, no, just right, we got a ten minute warning here. From, okay, says our producer. That's fine. I no. can just go through it. Um, guys, make a good golden ale. I mean, golden ale. Use pale malt and pale malt, and mash it at one fifty two, and uh, get a good hot clean sparge. And use some good old American ale yeast or English if you prefer. And hop it mildly, maybe 30 to 35 bitterness units, a little more if you want. Uh, in some parts of the world, they call it bitter. Mm. In other parts of the world, they call it beer. And that's a good place to start. If you have already experimented a lot with hops, an English pale ale is a good, is all, or, a, or a bitter is a good place to start because you can just take that pale recipe maybe use 10 percent crystal malt just a tiniest tiniest little touch of chocolate if you want to give it a, you know uh, a little more of a bitter feel to it and then um, you know stage your hops in there use some nice imported kent goldings or whitbread goldings are pretty exotic uh, any of the goldings family just just winners all the way around i'll brew those to the day you know till the day i die i love yeah. them yeah. and those are those are probably my first two choices and uh because both of them and 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 and, and mash in kind of low in the 150 yeah. 152 range shut the cooler don't touch it yeah and uh just a good clean hot sparge and um yeah yeah those those would be my my first two choices very cool. Um, when I when I look at the language of this, getting started means to me your first time out of the gate. So I'd like to speak kind of from that. What I, you know, along those same lines, uh, a golden ale or an American pale ale, I think are your best bets. You're not going to have temperature control as far as fermentation. Do not start off with lagers unless mm. you're really, you know, solid at, at your, at you know, if you're confident, go for it. Um, but uh, mistakes can be made with lagers that you need to um, uh, learn from ales on first. Uh, we'll talk about that in further shows down the road, I'm sure. But um, I would think that, uh, you know, either a golden or American uh, style um, pale ale, not an IPA, mm -hmm. with one hop induction right at the beginning mm -hmm. of boil. Uh, keep it simple because the simplest beers taste the best. Uh, mm -hmm. and you will be blown away. Do not put yourselves as brewers, as home brewers, uh, up against standards of the industry, things that you love. Eventually, you might brew things close to that, but don't go down the path of, oh, this isn't as good as, you know, XYZ's beer that I love. Yeah, don't get carried make away. It, yeah, make it your, exactly, good point. Make it your beer. And I cannot say this enough. Speaking of yeast, yeast is the, very biggest mistake people make out of the gate. Um, mm. You need to spend a little money and buy pitchable yeast for at least your first batch. Um, mm -hmm. Pitchable yeast comes ready to go. Uh, comes in five gallon, uh, built for five gallon um, batches at a time. You pitch it, the lag time is minimal at best. Like an hour or something, a couple uh, hours. No, well, no, it's within the specs of you know what you would expect. First six hours, you're gonna see some. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, it'll be in a vial or a foil mm -hmm. pouch. And he's specifically talking about liquid yeast. And the, actually, Sam, I want to update you because, again, yeah. I've been doing some writing about this. But believe right. it or not, you know, there's four liquid yeast companies now. 
Yeah, that's cool. You know, and yeah. so they're averaging 10, like 10 to 14 bucks a pop. Right. Quality dry yeast is six to eight bucks a pop. Yeah. So it's not like it was back. So actually we're only talking about three or four more dollars. Yeah, And for that three or four more dollars, what you get is if you make mistakes on the mashing, if you, if you either push the envelope too high or push the envelope too low and if and impact your extraction rate yeast is going to make up for some of that a little bit good yeast um but another trick is to make sure you have and and uh hold your breath uh jonas don't yell at <sighs> some dried malt extract on hand because if you make a mistake with your gravity and you're really worried about your gravity or it's piss mm. poor at the beginning you can adjust gravity with malt extract in an all-grain beer. It happens in the industry. It's a secret, but it does happen at various levels. And it, you know, you don't want to make it a standard practice in your brewing, but it's good to have in your back pocket as a backup. Um, well, there you go. You know, I think we did pretty good with our uh, 79 minute uh, time limit on those. Those were good. Yeah. So, yeah. That was good. You kept it under 79 minutes for your answer, you. Sam. Yes. Now I'm going to take a turn. Um, oh, you've had a turn, my friend. Actually, I did. I did want to mention if you, yeah, if you feel like you had some problems with your mashing um, and you take a, a kettle reading and you're trying to get a gravity reading of hot wort, number one, be careful you don't break your hydrometer if it's too hot. But number two, temperature will affect the actual reading. Yeah. So yeah. it could throw it off, uh, you know, uh, 0 0.020 Play-Doh or something. You've got to cool the beer down yeah. to get an accurate reading. Good so point. basically, d d get a Pyrex cup, dip some beer out, set it in cool water, let it get up to, you know, just room temp. And last note, pitch your yeast at about 60 or 62. The spring and the fall are the best time. Winter's a little cold, summer's way too hot, but because your beer is going to raise four to six degrees in the fermenter, but you already knew that. And actually, yeah. Sam, I want to talk about this Quebec yeast again real well, quick. I'd like um, to, yeah, Jonas. I, no, I, I got to tell you about it because yeah. it will brew at least this this type that's commercially available up to like uh, 90 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> nice. Summer brewing is realistic now. It has that's become cool. like a real thing. Very good. And that's all I got. Well, you know, um, uh, I'm not going to take a turn after your turn with my turn and your turn um, no, going already. Um, the tools for homebrewers out there are amazing online. Everybody listening who's a homebrewer knows that and who has a computer obviously that might be your phone listening to us uh you know just to kind of wrap this up um uh as far as like we'd like to do as far as giving an homage to J.R.R. tolkien um just a correction from previous shows pronunciation correction um it is duna dine uh mm. my apologies out there to you uh <laughs> tolkien heads and then um i just had a very simple uh talking point that I wanted to bring up and have Jonah speak to. Um, I'm in the middle of what I call my cycle, which is every year for, I can't even tell you how many years I read the Hobbit through the trilogy um, as a uh, traditional thing. And this year, prior to that, I had read all the lost tales and the Silmarillion and had just really beefed up my elder days reading to a point that was fantastic. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm at a point now where I'm seeing some references to Radagast uh, and um, 
the way that he's depicted in the movies is obviously needed for commercial success for movies. Mm-hmm. But Radagast is uh, one of the Mayar, right? Is that how you pronounce that? M-A-I-R. Yes. The Mayar, Mayar, yes. Mayar. Sure. And they are kind of just maybe one step down from the um, Noldor. Right? Not the Noldor, uh, but the, the Einor. Einor. Yeah. They're lesser. Like I call angels. them lesser yeah. angels. Yeah. Exactly. They're, and they're, they're, they're really uh, heavy hitters. Um, oh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, just for those folks that aren't out that don't know about this, but I have to say that some of the ways they depicted him were beautiful as far as uh, the use of the rabbits to pull his uh, his mm-hmm. land sled, if you will, um, the birds nesting in his hair and beard. Uh, speaking of beard, we didn't talk about the uh, yeast culture earlier, Jonas, that was actually cultured from a brewer's beard. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, that was a little bit uh, much, but okay. But anyway, please, I just wanted to bring that up as far as a, a simplistic thing that really isn't simple. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? I would agree. There's a lot of stuff that um, a lot of tales that were lost over the years, especially with the fall of the kingdom of Arner. But I would, I would think that he definitely would come west of the mountains and he would keep, he would communicate with the, um, the rangers, you know, the, the, uh, the Dunedain that had come from the, the houses of the fallen kingdoms. Yeah. Um, Cause after all, Gandalf had met him on the Greenway when he was trapped, you know, that's mentioned in the, in the Lord of the Rings at the council of Elrond, but I would be sure that Radagast, you know, had his ways of getting about and, just a further thought about that is I think Radagast was important to keep um, help keep the men in communication, his knowledge of herb lore, his communication with the animals. There, there could, couldn't have been more than a few dozen or a few hundred at most, you know, since the fall of the Northern kingdom, just wandering around. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, he was definitely involved involved in, in in well keeping the future alive i guess you could say keeping the future the future king uh uh keeping hope for the future king we yeah. should say and and you know we talk a lot about the lost tales and that kind of those pockets of information that tolkien wanted to share with the world but they're you know um put together after his passing in some regard and some not by his son who you know i think he died at 99 right christopher tolkien something like that six or seven or yeah something like this old or um but the uh uh the thing is that even from the movies there are lost tales and um i'll end on my uh, old man stump and say well you know tom bombadil where was he (laughs) in the movies but anyway well that will be a conversation for you yeah i think it's time for us to kind of wrap up and uh yeah let's wrap up yeah. Um, Jonas, do you want to take us out today? Yeah, sure. Well, I appreciate everyone coming and um, please do visit Kiss My Brew. There's a lot of wisdom about home brewing and um, a lot of source for equipment also. And there's also just some fantastic articles just about beer. So please enjoy that. And uh, thanks for being with us and uh, be good to each other. Hey, Jonas, uh, good thoughts there. We, um, we appreciate anybody out there in the, the world that might be listening. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with this, and we hope that you guys are having fun, maybe learning a little bit. Um, I'll say goodbye. Take care of each other. Uh, love the ones you're with, to quote an old, old song. It's very important. And um, be safe in this crazy world. 
Love you, Jonas. See you, see you soon.